0: Kia ora, you're listening to Cartoon Maya, a podcast series for those who want to create a better future, featuring real stories from some of South Auckland's most innovative community change makers. Listen in as they share the highs and lows, the passion and the persistence, the mighty wins and the epic fails. It's a real and raw cordial that will leave you inspired and equipped to take the next step in your purpose-driven journey. Katu Maya, be brave. Kia Ora, whanau and welcome back to our, our second episode here um, with these incredible changemakers in South Auckland or, or Monaco. Today we have the absolute pleasure of having Amber Taylor from Other Journeys and Jerome Taiti from South Auckland Young Entrepreneurs with us today. Kia ora, kōrua. How are you doing? Kia ora
1: kia ora. <laughs> kia ora, kia ora. I'm doing okay.
0: <laughs> today we're going to talk about the awesome topic of knowing yourself. Core way o. Um, and how important it is when you uh, have a, a goal or a dream to make a difference in this world, to really know um, who you are and where you're coming from and the, and the strength that that lies within that. So I'm looking forward to awesome all today. I know it's going to be the bomb. There's some really challenging... Um, ideas I think that can come through this topic um, but something that's really fundamental to your success um, when you're really putting yourself out there on behalf of you, your whānau and your people. So we're going to kick off with a couple of introductions. We'd love to get to know you both a little bit more, hear what makes you tick, um, a little bit about where you came from um, and then also the initiative that, that you run here in South Auckland. So we'll start with you, Jerome. Kia
2: ora I yeah, so my name is Jerome. Uh, I created South Auckland Young Entrepreneurs. Um, I'm originally actually from Tokoro, A little bit of a b- little bit of background um, from Tokoro, Grew up small town New Zealand. Similar, I guess, a similar demographic. Similar kind of world in South Auckland um, in terms of all the pine exactly trees. eh? it's just exactly the same. Exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. There's so many pine <laughs> trees in Manurewa. Um, but uh, you grew up there, lived there all my life, and and I guess through life this desire to to help the less fortunate um, kind of grew me, I realised, hindsight, when you look back on your life. Um, and uh, moved to South Auckland or Auckland kind of over a decade ago from Wellington um, and, uh, yeah, spent a lot of time in the corporate space, a lot of time dealing with business owners um, and a lot of time working with young people. It was like the full-time job outside of the full-time job um, and I wanted to combine those two worlds and so... Uh, an opportunity came up with Foundation North to, to, to kind of get a project off the ground to bring those two worlds together, the corporate training stuff, the business stuff and working with rangatai And um yeah, so I, I, I mean I pulled together the project for South Auckland Young Entrepreneurs. Um to help educate, empower and enable young people in South Auckland for success. Success being this kind of broad, generic term mm. in, in which we're defined but um yeah, and then it put forward that application and they loved the initiative and loved the thought and the innovation around it and, and agreed to come on board and so that's where that kind of got started. I don't know if we talk a bit more about the project or not or...
0: Yeah, just give a little overview of what it is because it's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a,
2: a, there's a couple of programs that I started with um, and one is called Confident, Resilient and Driven. The other is called Ideation, Launch and Grow. Uh, both of them are designed to help young people understand themselves primarily and, and understand what they're kind of driven to do, try and to help them uncover their passions, their desires, that sort of stuff. And then they go into uh, the CRD programme, Confident, Resilient and Driven, helps them in their career or help them to find a job or, or, or get ahead in the job that they might already have. Uh, so we help them with communication skills, uh, help them with emotional intelligence. There's just so many emotionally intelligent young people in South Auckland, mm. uh, particularly in the Māori and Pacific, uh community. Um, So helping them understand that that stuff that they thought was just the way that they are is actually a strength was really important for for me to get across. And then the Ideation, Launch and Grow programme is a 12-week programme designed to uh, kind of ignite the entrepreneurial spirit that already sits in many of these Angatahi and help them understand how to get something off the ground, how to get started. Mm. uh, A business, a social enterprise, Um, it could just be a small project, it could be a full-blown commercial idea. Um, but over time, over the last couple of years, I've realised that a lot of the stuff that comes out of South Auckland is around impact. Yeah, and um, They want to they want to change lives, or they want to positively impact the community. Um, it's not traditionally, or well, it hasn't typically been, rather, a um, commercial idea, you know, to go out there and make a billion dollars and mm. be the next Steve Jobs. It's kind of, I want to do something awesome, and I want to help our community. Um, so it's helping them to understand you can do that, but you can also make some money. You can yeah. also um, make a living, and... As opposed to just sacrificing your life mm. uh, for stuff, which a lot of young people um, think that that's what they should be doing. But you're like, yeah, that's cool. You can do that, but you can do the other side as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how awesome that you've lived that out, right? And now you're now you're leading the charge. So, it's been what two years since two, say you yeah, launched? Yeah, just
2: just over two years now. Um, yeah, what is it twenty eight ish months? Two <laughs> years, four months ish, not counting all through COVID, yeah. eh? All through COVID. Never had a, I've never had a rotation. Uh, that hasn't been impacted by lockdown. Crazy. I've been saying to Foundation North, I just, I, I can't wait till I get a rotation where I don't have to be impacted by lockdown. And It'll be too now, boring. Oh, I know. <laughs> realising that's just part of life now.
0: Yeah, awesome. You brought up heaps of cool topics in there that um, I'm sure we're going to touch on yes. a little bit soon. But um, before we do that, um, Amber, ehoa, why don't you introduce yourself as well?
3: My turn. Kia ora. Um, ko te uri o Ngā Timutinga. Me a Tia hoki, ko tōku ingoa, kai mātua i Um, Hello guys, hello hey. everyone else. <laughs> 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 My name's Amber, I'm the CEO of Ata and we're a um, indigenous digital technologies company operating right here in Aotearoa. We're 100% Māori owned, which is something quite unique in the tech space. And what we do is we create digital storytelling platforms that Um, That use immersive technologies So we're looking at augmented reality, virtual reality Mixed realities as well as artificial intelligence To build out these massive multiplayer gaming platforms That enable us to tell our stories the way we want them told Um, amazing Yeah, so our latest project that we launched End of last year called Tufiri Is a project that Foundation North actually helped us to build out Mm. It's one of the first in the world That actually um, enables multi- um, multi co- multi generational content um, across the Ewe across the country, and it rewards you for doing so. So when we get players out into location and listening and observing and learning about content, we're actually re- rewarding them with real time rewards that can be redeemed within Maori owned enterprise.
0: Yes, so, yeah, cool. a lot
3: going on in that platform. That's awesome. And how long?
0: So you launched Outer Journeys yourself, right?
3: Launched Outer Journeys, co-founded with Dr Isaac Warbrick, mm-hmm. um, launched in March 2018, so we're coming up to four years this year.
0: Wow, four years, still just the beginning, eh? <laughs> yeah, just getting started. But um, definitely got some amazing momentum, it's so awesome to have you here, and awesome to have, Thank I mean, her. just a little side note, like Amber's been just an incredible support for everything that we've done at head right from the inception, um, has believed in us and what we're doing, so it's awesome to have people um, like you, like-minded people, you as well, Jerome, um, doing this stuff together here in South Auckland. So Cheering you on, always. Um, awesome. It's so cool listening to you guys' stories, um, where you've come from, what you're doing. Um, so today as we're talking about O, knowing yourself, um, I guess my first question to both of you is, like how how has actually knowing and understanding yourself, who you are, where you come from, stuff like that, really played out? in your journey so far and building what you're building? We'll start with you, Amber.
3: Great question. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think knowing yourself is a really interesting topic because for me, I'm forever learning who I am. Mm. I feel like during different stages in life, I've changed and I've learned a little bit more about my identity as I've gone on. So when like, I came out of school and went into my first jobs, my identity was where I was brought up, which was in South Auckland. Mm. So Ōtara, Papatoetoe, um, manurewa that was my identity for me. Um, and then it wasn't until later in life when I really started learning what it was to be Māori and how special that was and what a privilege that was, is when my kind of mindset changed and that's when I really wanted to dive in deeper And to learn more about our culture and to learn where I came from. Because even though I'd been down to the marae and, like, I used to go hui hopping with my nan all the time, all over the country, when we were younger. But Mm. when she passed away, that stopped. And she passed away when I was still um, quite young. Well, actually, I was in teenage years. So her passing then, she was the connection for us back home. Mm. And then you know, coming into teenage years, going home to them, what I was the last thing you want to be doing yeah. on your free time. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. I kind of lost that connection. And then coming through into university and starting other journeys, that's when my mind really opened. And I was like, you know what, I'm I have such a beautiful culture. Um, we're such beautiful people. I need to learn more about this. And why mm. don't I know these stories of our area? Yeah. Um, so that's one of the main reasons we built Tufuti was wow. to, for people who we kind of in the same situation as me. They'd grown up urban Māori and maybe had this little bit of disconnect from their culture, even though you know where you're from and you can mm. get up and recite your pepeha, right? It's like that is not just – that's not your only way to connect. So building out tuwhiri, enabling iwi to actually bring their stories into a digital platform and open it up for all the iwi or all the rangatahi coming through and growing up in that area enabled us a, a way to reconnect um, – in a soft way, I, I call it, a soft way of reconnection back to culture. Mm. But the idea is to spark curiosity and get people curious again about, OK, this is happening here in um, South Auckland, but what is happening home? What is happening on my marae? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I learn those stories and encourage people to reconnect that way? And so that's why was really <coughs> wouldn't build for us. Yeah, yeah. Because we wanted to open those channels and floodgates up for people and make it easier to reconnect. Was that easy for you reconnecting back in or was it challenging? Um, to be perfectly honest, I haven't fully reconnected back in. Mm. I am doing more, um, more with our whānau at the moment, especially the whānau in Taranaki. So, mm. um, of the last couple of years, you know, I've been turning up to our iwi hui and you know having a bit more say on the and what's going on within the whānau and decisions that have been made. Kind of staying across it has mm. been my touch point back. Yeah, cool. Um, I need to do better. So I still need to go home and learn learn some of our stories. So obviously, activating down in Taranaki is high on my priority list. Because it's so much more than
0: just a decision, eh? It's action and yeah. continual action. Yeah. And just because you decide, oh, I'm going to reconnect back to that part of me, doesn't just happen like that. That takes time. It's a and quite often, your whanau and your hapu and your iwa will make you put in the work too. They're not just going to mm. hand it back to you on a plate. Yeah. 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 Good on you. You are doing awesome. So, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, a journey. journey eh? How about you, Jerome? How's it playing out? How did it? How's it played out for you?
2: Um, uh, it's funny. I mean, I relate to, in the sense that I uh, that I too have later in life wanted to reconnect to my culture. Um, I'm Maori, I'm Samoan, and I'm Finnish, and I want to connect to all three of of that um, to find out a bit more about who who I am and where I come from. And I and I kind of haven't sat in either or. I mean, I you know I grew up and went to the Marae for Tangi and and went there for um to be a reu- family reunions, all that sort of stuff. Um, but now as my dad and um his siblings are, are kind of the next, the, the last generation. The Komatu are now, yeah. Eh? And and now he's you know they're getting older, and I'm like, oh, and 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 that all has stopped with that line. There's, mm. there's, I'm getting it makes me a bit more anxious or nervous, I guess, in thinking that. My family are going to look at me. My family are going to look to me and go, "Are you on the pipeline?" I'm, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what to do. So, yeah, and so, yeah. and, and that's part of the reason why I've, I've, I'm really keen to learn more about it. But also, um, what I've realised through my career uh, and through working in banking, technology, all that sort of stuff, um, is how unique our culture is, Maori and Pacific, specifically, in in the corporate space, and how kind of there's not many people in that that world, right? You, you, you find kind of under, it's, it's not uncommon to have under 5% in the workforce and you're working in the bank on your floor and, and, and I would be the only brown person in and amongst kind of 200 people working on our floor. Mm. um, Yet I would be pulled into boardrooms or asked for advice or asked, and I never really understood why I was asked. um, And I, w- and I used to always question myself when I'd be pulled in and people would say, oh, what's your feedback and what do you think about the strategy or what we're going to be doing next year? And, and it, and I don't even think they realised either. But when I reflect on that, I realised it came back to my culture, my community, my upbringing, the way that I think, the way that I see. And I think that that's a really common theme across Māori and Pacifica is that we have this unique way of looking at life, this unique way of being, a unique mm. way of building rapport, building yes. relationships. We just treat situations completely differently. And people realise it. And so they ask questions about it. And so they pull you into those those settings. So... My identity has been coming as is a is a journey, um, uh, so important for me to understand it, so that I can be confident in how I operate uh, yeah, yeah. today. It plays a big part in, in what I'm doing, though. No? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I picked up one thing from what you said, just one tiny little statement, which is questioning yourself. And mm. I thought I'd just expand on that, or give the opportunity mm. to expand on that, because I think that's something that we all go through as entrepreneurs and as innovators. We we question yourself, you question your decisions, you question your values. You question uh the promises that you might have made to people or organizations. I mean, what do you I think maybe what I wanna unpack here a little bit is like that stuff is gonna come. How do you manage it when you're questioning yourself? You might question yourself when you're in a room of people that are hundred percent different to you. Um, how do you manage it?
2: In in my um the way the way that I see that for me is is I need to understand what makes me unique uh, and have now got myself to a point where I once doubted things that I would do because it was non-traditional. The way that you I would do things would be kind of not how it's done typically. And so you, you only look back to what you know mm. and what you know is different to what you're doing. So you think, is this the right way of doing things? That's what I would think. I would be like, well, oh, this is not how everyone else done it. Mm. Um, but now I'm like, well, I do it this way because of who I am, because Mm. of my uniqueness. Um, And so uh, over the years, I've got to a point where I'm like, I actually don't care (laughs) what what you think (laughs) about me or how I do it. So uh, I I use that in workshops that I run. I I do a first impressions exercise where I say, what do you think about, what were your thoughts when I walked in the room? Mm. Um, To help them understand the impression that they they make. And and, uh, following that, I'll say, I actually don't care what what you think. And, And then that opens up a new conversation. It's like, well. Why don't you care? Like, and 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 that comes back to I have to back myself more than anyone else in the room. Um, mm. But I think that's a journey to get to that place. I think, and and you, yeah, it starts with understanding who you are. Um, but I do think that's going to come up. I still, I mean, I I think it still comes up when you when you go and you put a, a funding proposal, or you pull together a contract, and you're like, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this, and they say, yeah, cool, it's approved, and you're like, okay, cool, now I've got to do this. <laughs> okay, how am I going to do this? Yeah, what, so what am I going to do? How am I going <laughs> to do this? Um, oh no! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that, you know. So, so you, you still do question it, but you're like, I've done this before, you know. I've, 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 I've broken molds and done things that I haven't. that hasn't been done before. So yeah, nothing new. It's just I definitely find it ground. comes
0: through in those moments where you're going beyond what you've done before. Eh? Yeah, even more. Stretching so a bit. you might be doing putting in a funding application that's bigger than the biggest one you've ever done, or the no, biggest, just most just, yeah, <laughs> the most ambitious project you've ever done. And like I've just recently like that where I was like if I get it I'm, I'll, if I don't get like if it's not successful I'm going to cry but if I get it I'm going to have an anxiety attack because I just <laughs> don't know how I'm going to pull, pull through on this man How do you manage it Amber?
3: I'm a really firm believer that everything happens for a reason and that opportunities come your way for a reason mm. so whenever I start questioning myself or where I am or what I'm up to I always kind of look at it, at it from a p- point of view well this is here, there's a reason I'm here, so I must be able to add value from mm. something I know. Um, so yeah, whenever self-doubt kicks in, that's, mm. that's what I think to myself, okay, wh- how do I add value in this situation? Mm. Like, there's obviously a reason someone's asked me to be here or asked me to do this talk, so yeah, it's working out what that is. Um, and then I think once once I establish that, I'm away because it's you know, you're know you back on track again. It's like, oh yeah, I can True. talk about blah, 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 blah. Yeah,
0: awesome, and I've seen you in lots of different spaces too <laughs> um, And seen the confidence that you walk in It's really, really cool actually, it's inspiring Thank Yeah, alright, so um, why do you think, like I'm really just keen to hear your guys' thoughts and, and what you mull over About why it is important and what we do to actually know yourself Or like, like say talking to someone that's out there thinking Man, I wanna, I've got this idea for an initiative I want to do I want to make a difference in this way Why do you think that it's important that they know who they are And they're confident in who they are?
2: Keeps me grounded. It, mm. it makes me understand, uh, kind of know where I'm heading, what I'm doing, or why I'm doing it, rather. Um, and and I, I guess it, I, I might be jumping ahead, but it comes back to if I if I know who I am and why I'm do, why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'm happy to put in the, put in the hard yards to to make it work. Like in terms of getting something off the ground. If it's just purely a commercial play, yeah. just to make a bit of cash in the bank, it'll last for five minutes for me. But if it's aligned with what what I'm truly motivated and driven by, I'm going to get up late, wake up early in the morning, put in the the enormous amount of effort that's required to get it off the ground. Um, and I think that's how, how and why it's successful, why I've continued to secure funding, because, I've, because I'm passionate about it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I think people sense that when you talk to them they can tell that it's not just, I mean, if it was for the money, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I would be <laughs> doing something else yeah, p- yeah. about that because it's not about that.
0: Yeah. There's a saying that um, I hear you say quite a bit where your culture, your community, and your upbringing is your strength. Yeah. Why don't you unpack that a little bit for us?
2: Yeah, I I, I think that um, after talking to a bunch of rangatahi and, and over the last couple of years uh, in particular, y- you hear them say something like, I mean, the stuff that comes out of their mouth, like I'm, I'm, I'm from Niriwa, um, you know, I those these opportunities don't come to South Auckland, or, or I'm um you know I grew up or, around, uh, in a Pacifica household, so I was taught to sit in the back and keep my mouth shut and let anyone older than you has more experience and more privileged and they know more than you. Um and I grew up in that same setting and and, um also you know we I am Maori so I'm not or I am Pacifico I'm from South Auckland or I'm from Tukadore so I'm not and there's this kind of undertone of. Being less intelligent or less onto it or less potential to start a business, a successful mm. business, or to be the next big tech entrepreneur company, whatever that is, that there's this undertone in it or this doubt in it, mm. and um, it, it's not until you look back and you're like, man, th- this is a strength, like the, the the fact that you were raised in a community like South Auckland or like Tukutu or you were raised around Maori and Pacifica uh, values, um. It, that that sort of stuff has made a whole lot of emotionally intelligent people, mm. um, and given you values and morals and ethics that that are absent in many spaces, and but are hugely valuable, particularly in the business world. I, I know that um, I was had a very successful sales career, and um, I was a really good salesperson, um, and it came down to my ability to build rapport, which came down to my upbringing, my, uh, the way that I could build a connection with someone, the way that Māori want to know a little bit more about you than just what's on the surface, mm. you know, what, which is why we do our pepeo, which is why we talk about where we're from, it's mm. That that is innate in Māori and Pacifica, you want to know a little bit more, I want to know who where you're from and why, you know, not just mm. what's on the surface and I think because of that innate um, desire for that sort of relationship building, uh, you can build rapport really quickly, but people don't see all that stuff as a strength. Yeah. particularly young people, don't you, they don't see that stuff. They don't see that growing up in, in this in this environment, in this community, as is a strength, but it absolutely absolutely is. So that's I'm really And it's not
0: it. necessarily um portrayed that way in the media and stuff like that either. No. Eh, so.
2: In fact it's the opposite. Yeah. I mean even even I, I get really frustrated when I drive around Monaro, um and the booms. The grass booms are like all overgrown. And then I go through and drive to my meeting in the city, or drive past Rotorua, and it's all nicely tidally manicured, and and I just think that would never happen, and they would never let that stuff happen. But it just creates this.
0: You're revealing your ACD, bro. <laughs> 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 it's oh, all absolutely. in the burns, eh? it it.
2: <laughs> Little things like that. I'm like, oh, so it, so. It just frustrates me because I just know that there's this, this mindset that just continually it, it perpetuates, it, yeah, and it's not supported or um. Helped by totally. people.
3: Yeah, I'm going to jump on that media um, representation of South Auckland because I've been here all my life. Mm. And I got up and um, gave a talk at a school one time and started with opening. It's like I dropped out of school at 16. I didn't get school, see. Mm. I um, became a mum, got pregnant at 17, had my kid at 18. And it wasn't until I was around 19 when I could put them into daycare that I decided to go back and try and get an education through university. Mm. Um, when I signed up for that first year, I absolutely hated it, um, because it was full of like just kids younger than me that were coming straight from school. Mm. So I found it really hard to go back and start learning again. But it's something that I had to push myself through um, to get to a point where I could provide my son, because that, that was my main goal of going into university. It's like, okay, I'm in this situation now, so now I've got to go provide for my kid or be able to provide for him, which is why I went to uni. Um, and when I open like that and you, you see the look on kids' faces and they're like, oh, but isn't she like the CEO of that game company? Mm, and yeah. you see them ticking over and then I go, "That's the, that's the portrayal that media would give you. Yeah, If they're looking to profile a South Auckland exactly. statistic, right? Yeah, that, that would be their headline. Mm.
1: Mm.
3: Young mum, high school dropout, starts game studio in South Auckland. Yeah, yeah, Like nothing about the games that we've created, the award-winning platforms we've built. And it's that whole portrayal that I think really plays in the back of people's minds. Mm. Yeah. So when yeah. I talk to, um, especially rangatahi, but also adults as well, and we're looking at, well, you know, I grew up in Ōtara, my primary school was Flatbush Primary School. Like, we had one playground back then, real small school, um, not a lot of resource going in, but I learned to negotiate at that school because you mm. had to. If you wanted to play <laughs> with the rugby ball, you had to negotiate, <laughs> right? You had to build a team of friends to help you secure that rugby ball so you guys could go play your own game. Mm. So you learn to negotiate from a really young age. You learn empathy because, you know, there's... There's not a lot of people around you that will help you, so you rely on each other in those Mm. situations in the classroom, on the sports field, out in the playground. You know, you're learning all these soft skills that are really relevant in business and Mm. will help you grow a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they never focus on these skills. Like people talk about grades all the time. And I remember when we started our internships program, and WinTech came to us and they're like, oh, please take some interns. I was like, cool, send me their CVs. And the um, the careers manager there goes, oh, I've filtered out all the high-grade ones. Mm. I was like, I don't want those. It's like, mm. send me everything. Mm. She's like, why is that? I said, because grades are the last thing I look at. Mm. So, I don't, so I don't need to know what grades they got. I need to know, are they can they communicate well? Are they competent? Do they have good time management? Mm. I was like, I can teach them anything they need to know in that skill set. So grades isn't important. Mm. It's the soft skills that we need and their passion. Yeah, what are no. they doing outside of? work or outside of tech, and how might what we're creating actually become something that they're passionate about.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like how, like we're talking a little bit about stereotyping too, right, and Mm. how there's a a stereotype Mm. for South Auckland, for South Auckland young people. What are you seeing as far as stereotyping within the, the tech scene?
3: I see, I don't know if, so there's been a real shift I've mm. seen over the last couple of years where employers are actually really sitting up and taking notice of our Māori Pacifica mm. um, students coming through or early career graduates coming through the system. Like, there is a real eye-opening, uh, like an awakening, I think, that's happening across the tech sector mm. where they're seeing relevance in the culture and our upbringing and just the way we operate.
4: There are a lot of negative actions that can come from stereotyping people um, and I believe that unless you're completely true to yourself you can't understand the way that stereotypes can affect a people in, in general. Stereotypes can be seen in our communities amongst race and religion, uh, amongst age, amongst uh, physical well-being, amongst the uh, wealth of communities as well and stereotypes don't really help you to get an action completed stereotypes aren't really a motivator either it's not something that we look forward to having in our communities but definitely is something that's in there we feel like we belong to parts of groups in a positive way but when those parts of groups are changed to fit the story inside somebody else's head that's when the stereotype comes out An example of stereotypes can be when we assume something about somebody or about a group of somebody's, and uh, it's actually based on nothing true. In South Auckland, we can't afford to have stereotypes. We can't afford to segregate off. We can't um, be seen to be serving one type of a people because firstly, that's not fair. Secondly, it doesn't work towards our values and the foundation that we've built Fenua Warrior on. Um, But also, it it works both ways. Um, We, as Māori wahine serving the Fenua against our ancestral knowledge, can also be stereotyped as women who don't have shoes on and play in the dirt all the time. Uh, But... What it actually comes down to and the way that we can get rid of stereotyping is understanding the values of those people and understanding what it is that we're working towards as a community before you offer the solution to, to mend anything or fix anything or um, try to bring a people back together when they're probably not even apart. Senua warrior believes that with what we offer to community, stereotyping isn't possible because we're all responsible to be able to eat to feed and to ensure that our whānau continue to survive in a way that um, flourishes within the whānau. So with Whenua Warrior, we believe that everyone has a responsibility to understand how it is to grow food, how we can connect to people to help other people to survive better, and what it is that we can learn so that we can empower others to be just as successful and just as flourishing in our food systems.
3: Like, one thing that we are really good at as Pacifica and as Māori is working for the better of the collective. Mm. Like, mm. I haven't met awesome. one Māori mm-hmm. company that goes out and just wants to make money for themselves. Not so one. True. Mm. I don't know anyone in that space. Yeah. So true. And, that, and you look at all these other um, tech companies that set up and they're like, oh, we can't we can't hide, find people to work for us. We've got an employment shortage. Um, you know, you can't. They're like, oh, we can't get funding. Why are they funding you? They're not funding games. It's like, yeah, but we don't operate the same way you do. Mm. We don't run a business model that's just solely focused on revenue and profit Yeah, and stuff. We work with people. We work with community. We work with schools. We're looking at how do we create greater good and greater impact across a wide range of areas, not just ourselves. Yeah, yeah, And I yeah. think that's something – that's not just something we do. I know it's not something – we're not the only company doing that. Mm. It's like every other Māori company I know is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's our real—that's our strong point. Yeah, for like sure. we operate like that regardless of what situation we're in.
0: Mm. Are you seeing stereotyping hold young people back, Jerome?
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, and sometimes I, I mean I, I I will say to them, uh, there is a stereotype, but it's up to you whether or not you let it hold you back because it's it's you're the only. I I always say this. You know, you may not be able to control what has happened in the past and why you are where you are today, but you absolutely have every every uh, ability to change the decision that you make tomorrow to get to where you are mm. and where you want to be. Um, and because it's it's I- everywhere, the stereotype is everywhere. The society, community, uh, your parents, your your aunties, your uncles they they will subtly throw stuff out there without even realizing it that kind of reinforces. The stereotypes that are out there about rangatahi, particularly those in South Auckland, you know, mm. the stats or just being another number, um, and then and in the government and media will just continue to to throw that stuff out there and, and kind of, yeah, it, it really frustrates me. It's one of my biggest things that it just infuriates me, which is mm. why, um, uh, and I think it starts, which is why you can't necessarily change all that stuff. So, but you can change turn, you can change yourself. So I can, I will help you individually to be able to look through that and understand all those things that make you amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we talked a little bit too about culture. Like both of you have talked about wanting to reconnect, um, to who you are as Maori or Pacifica, um, and then how you're integrating that into the mahi that you do. Hmm. I thought it might be cool to get like an actual example. Like, tell us about a scenario where, um, you've had you've seen and felt what it was like to bring culture into your initiative, whether it's positive or negative. I'll say, I'll give an example to give you a bit of time to have a think about it. I got your back. Um, but in the early days of setting up Ngahere, and at that stage what was called Te Manuko, um I just found myself in a conversation with someone who's a really well-known investor in Aotearoa. Um, and we were just chatting, and he has... Was finding out a little bit about what we were doing, and his response to me was something along the lines of um, doing um, doing programs and initiatives that are just for Maori and Pacifica are never going to work. You people just need to learn how to live mm-hmm. in the real world. Uh, I can just see you guys, like your eyes going, like, <laughs> what the heck? And you can imagine. I mean, I'm I'm pretty chill as a person, but some things will really rack me up, and that racked me up. Straight away, sitting there face to face with this guy who anyone else in that situation would probably be full of ego trying to get his money. But he just said that to me, and I, I obviously disagreed. Um, and we just went into this, it was almost an argument, but it was just a heated conversation from my side trying to be like, no, what you're saying is wrong, and him sitting there just being absolutely convinced that what he's saying is right and that from his perspective that's what he's seen. And I think for me what I experienced was this frustration where I felt like we were just bashing heads over this topic that we weren't going to agree on. But the challenge for me was to find a way to help him see that he was wrong. Mm. Um, and so we had the conversation and it got really heated and I got to a point where I was able to explain to him. And the the phrase that I I got to in that conversation is something that I've continued to use um, as we're building Grid Monaco um, and the different communities that we build um, and the concept came to me that was like every living thing has an ideal environment in order for it to thrive and it's different depending on what it is whether it's a fish or a tree or mm. um, a mushroom or whatever and and I said to him, the same, it's the same for us as Māori and Pacifica people. There are environments that we're more more likely to thrive in than others. There's different ways that we That's like good. to do things. And I was like, imagine an environment where you walk in as a Māori and um, it's kapahaka season, so people are all practising their kapahaka and the boys have got a, a black eye because they just hit each other with the taiaha and then your cousin comes in and brings baby and they're feeding Bub in the corner. <laughs> um, and then on the wall are pictures of Māori atua, that have been designed by some of your whanau. I was like, that's a different environment, a place where you can come in in your bare feet, you can sit on the floor and still have a professional meeting. Mm-hmm. That's how our people work, how our people interact, what's important to our people. That environment doesn't exist here in what you have. And that was the how I could finally get him to see what was important, what we were doing, and something that's helped me from that point on to describe what it is that we do what it is that we create. We create environments for our people to thrive and within that then we can see the outcomes that, that we want. So that was an example for me where I felt like I felt the tension, I felt the fire, I felt the frustration but I also managed to find a way through that into something that was constructive. The next time, I mean since then that guy's been like super, like he's he's been awesome. He thinks like he thinks that I'm awesome, he thinks what we're doing is awesome, he supports mm. us and stuff like that. I don't have a lot of time for him after that, but <laughs> yeah. but it changed his perspective, and I'm glad that I stuck to it, and that I didn't just get pissed off and swear at him, walk off, or something like that. Yeah, who wants to share their story?
3: I love that um, thriving environment. Mm. That that's a great analogy, um, especially for innovation. Yeah, and in that, and I really think that we are true innovators. Mm. Like that's where Maori and Pacifica mm. thrive. Yeah. Um, in terms of reconnection, you know, when we first started, when Isaac and I first started Outer Journeys, I don't think we fully understood what we had mm. and because when we built out the very first prototype, which was our Manu's Journeys um, app, it was really based on our own personal needs at the time. So a need to see more um, more of our stories out in the public domain, a need to create these safe platforms for iwi to tell stories the way they want them to be told. Mm. Um, and so when we started that first pro- prototype, we rolled it out across community. And we actually thought our market for this, this particular app was Māori mm. because we were Māori, we felt it, we were connecting stakeholders that we were working with and community members we worked with to produce it. They were Māori, they mm. were feeling it, promoting it across their networks. And it wasn't until we showcased at a wider event out in Manurewa, actually, um, with Pānuku, and we learnt um, from different different community members just how relevant our stories were to them. So mm. these are like um, different cultures, Indian, uh, Chinese people were there, like just a whole range. Well, you know what South Auckland yeah, um, culture yeah. is, like yeah. just this real diverse range of people who really resonated with the stories, Mm. which to me was mind-blowing because we always thought, oh, you know, Māori are going to uptake this. This is, you know, this Mm. is the market. This is for them. Mm. And it was actually everyone else who stopped and they were like, this is so cool. I've lived here for like 20 odd years and had no idea how um, awesome the Pūnui stream was and what that meant to the local iwi here. And now I'm going to do my best to be good kaitiaki of that area because you know, we need to bring some of these money back and this is the stuff that they were learning from the platforms we had built. Um, So for me, that was just like, okay, yeah, now we need to take this prototype and just scale it yeah. as big as we can. And so that's, that's awesome. kind of what started us on this particular pathway, this journey that we're on now mm. is, yeah, learning that from people outside of our culture and just how much they appreciated what we were doing Um and the the knowledge and the education and the history that we were laying down in a space that was relevant to their kids now, mm. because I don't know a lot of kids that still use the library, but they're all on digital devices and mobiles. Um, yeah, so they were like, oh, you've just brought this into a digital space, mm. which now makes it relevant for future generations, and I want my kids to know the history of this area. Mm. We're not mana whenua, but we've been here yeah. Yeah, like it our is. entire lives. They're born here, they should know it. Yeah. So yeah, that to us, that was really cool. That was our like, okay, yep.
0: <laughs> That's pretty made. something. Yeah.
3: yeah, now we're going to do better. And like you said, eh, it's
0: it's more relevant than you think. It's yeah. not just for our people. Yeah,
3: it was yeah. That, that initial contact was mind blowing. Yeah, awesome. How about you, bro.
2: Um, I, I guess in the in the way that we do we do or I run programs, um, and kind of concepts of how how we deliver them. Honey, uh, I, I, mean, I, I created the program. And, and and looked at how we're gonna dil- facilitate these workshops and, and certain aspects of it. Um without actually consciously thinking, how do we make this right for or or right for Maori or anything like that. And yeah. and what I realized is that the way that we do things naturally is, is just the way that you so so having fuck tanga or, or um is just something that you naturally do. Or mm. uh with a resiliency model that I that I designed I pulled together this the way to understand resilience and how you can build and grow resilience Um, and it aligns with Te Whare but by naturally you kind of just do that stuff or or pulling people into the room and and, and just the way that you interact or the way that you build rapport um, I realise that you when it's effective and and you just naturally do it I look back now and I'm like oh that that actually does align with Te Ao Māori and Mm. and how, how we should be doing things so I think it's I think it's something that people don't realise that you even do, even if you, people think that if you don't speak the deal you don't have the te ao Māori way or you don't understand what that is, but you might find that the way that you operate is, is that way. It's intrinsic, that, eh? Yeah, it's intrinsic and you don't yeah. realise until you actually learn about it and you're like, oh, that's why I do that or that's why I yeah. operate that way or that's why I said that or that's why I meet like that or that's why this yeah. stuff is important in my workshops. Um, and
0: that's, I think that's what we're talking about, right? Like mm. who you are and what you have to bring is... It, that's it, yeah. that's, that's all you need to do That's all you need to, to be And the way that you think and the way that you see the world yeah. is, is so important And there's a reason behind that It, mm. it comes from your tupuna it, it comes from your upbringing It comes mm. from the environments that you've been in yeah. um, And knowing that and using that as a strength As opposed it to getting stuck In something like comparison or stereotypes And allowing that to intimidate you Out of it Yeah.
3: Mine was the maramataka when we started doing work on the maramataka because I didn't know anything about our Lunar phase like until we mm. started building out Manu and the story mm. content there. And once I got a better understanding and got to meet with our experts and, you know, learn the kōrero behind the moon phases, mm. all of a sudden everything made sense to me. <laughs> like my moods. Yeah. I was like, oh <laughs> My So partner, I get the moon, eh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah okay, I'm alright like, That's not your excuse <laughs> Yeah, that's excuse doesn't
2: like, nah. make it okay
3: <laughs> The marmataka it's why I'm like this today It's where those werewolf stories
0: come from, <laughs> eh?
4: With my identity, I, I've struggled a bit. Um, as you do, growing up as a child with a German-Lebanese father and a Māori mother who grew up in Tamaki, Um, we were very detached from our our Māori home roots, which is up in Northland, in, in Opanone, Hokianga. Um, and then you go into a school that has... Um, children of all shades of the rainbow doing all sorts of different things, from you know, elastics and knucklebones on that side to practicing the haka and poi on that side. Um, understanding who you are as a child in South Auckland can be a little bit difficult, and I was fortunate enough to grow up without seeing colour. Um, I was also fortunate enough to grow up without seeing any type of negative action from our culture or from any cultures surrounding us. I enjoyed that about myself, I enjoyed seeing people equal from all backgrounds and um, I've, I've revisited that as an adult because um, Whenua Warrior allows us to get into spaces where there are different shades of the rainbow and the value of Whenua Warrior is seen by all shades of that rainbow because we are trying to serve all. And the reason I do that is because I identify with all and I identify as equal with all as well. That's so awesome.
0: Um, we we had a cool, um, like, pre-chat before this about knowing what your calling is mm-hmm. and the role that um, knowing your calling plays in actually being able to lead and drive initiatives and, and innovate and stuff. Um, I think, like, what are you... I'm going to ask you... Jerome, but like, what is a calling in
2: your mind? Um, the thing that I most closely align it with is is my why. But it kind of is what I'm most passionate about, what I am most driven to do, what I feel like um, I naturally do or have done, um, and and that's what I reflect on when I when I think about. What am I called to do? Mm. why am I here um, is what have I done in the past when I look back over the last kind of fifteen odd years mm. what have I done that I've loved doing that I potentially wasn't even paid for and and it didn't really matter to me um, was the stuff that I was doing with rangatai. so I was doing that stuff outside of my full time job right i had a, I mean I had a sales career um where I would be earning a, well over a six figure income for selling a piece of technology into a corporate mm. And i it used to infuriate me that i that I could do this job and get paid a very a really good salary good great commission, yet I would go and want to try and work in the community with rangatai and and expect to be paid kind of forty fifty thousand dollars mm. um so I would do that stuff uh, we ran a, a charitable trust charitable youth trust, my wife and I um and then when I look back at that, I think that's the stuff that I would do if I had all the money in the world, that's the mm. stuff. And I didn't need anything. I would do something to impact the lives of rangata, of young people, of, of young adults, of people to help them do something they never thought was possible. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's what I, when I reflect on a calling or or a why, I think it's it's that that thing that's going to get you up early in the morning, stay up late at night, and, and work through to get your outcomes that you're wanting to do. Um, and if I can say that about what it is that I do today, then then I think that I'm I'm doing it. Um, and I absolutely am. If I had, all, if, if someone asked me the other day if I won Lotto, I don't buy a Lotto, but if I won Lotto, what would I do with it? And I, and I, legitimately, and it sounds really cliche, and it sounds really dumb, but I would legitimately scale the program that I currently deliver. I would scale the impact. Um, I would impact lives of people across New Zealand, um, and have people go out there and do the stuff that I'm that I'm doing. Find mm. find equally passionate, equally driven, equally people, uh, equally, um, driven to make people people's lives better.
0: Was it scary walking away from the money for your it was, for your passion?
2: Absolutely, it was. It was, but I, but because I'm I'm like the mitigator of risk. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time to get to a point where I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to make the jump. I mean, I've got I've got a young family, got a mortgage, live in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was a big hurdle, but I I just lined up all. Lined everything up, um, made sure my – I mean, it's not impossible to get out of that and, and get into uh, something that you're passionate about, Yeah, uh, I've, re- I've realised.
0: I honestly think that's such good advice. I had some similar advice when I made the jump from
2: mm. being in a safe-employed
0: um, position into self-employment was to actually get yourself sorted first. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, thanks for that fear. <laughs> 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 um, is to get yourself sorted first Like you uh, you might know exactly what it is that you want to do But if you can't practically do it Be patient, set yourself up Set your family up So that yeah. when you do take the jump And it's a hard jump yeah. it's, it's pretty brutal yeah. um, That you're ready to roll eh?
2: And I also think when I talk to people that Or, or young people, young adults That are kind of figuring out whether or not they do this now And I say oh if you... Have you what's your situation at the moment and they'll mm. they say oh we don't have, don't have any children I don't have a partner I'm like jump in there get it get mm. it done now before you get to that point because your, risk, your level of risk is, is a lot lower than where it could be your perceived risk I guess it's, yeah. it's kind of like
0: like it's just you going to yeah, be on noodles not, yeah, not your whole yeah, family, whole family. <laughs> it's just you like you're the only one you're the only one
2: that's going to be on noodles Exactly, it's exactly that <laughs> yeah, though yeah. I, um, whereas for me I was like if it doesn't work out in my head when I, when we originally did this, I was like, okay, if it doesn't work out, I can sell my house. That, yeah, that's what yeah. I was, in my head, I was like, I'll sell my house and we can rent. Yeah. Okay, cool, there's a way out. So as long as I knew there was a way out and that it wasn't going to be, we're going to be living on the street. Mm. So I was like, okay, cool, we can sell my house. Yeah, Which is a pretty big deal, right? But I had to be comfortable with that. Yeah. I had to get to a point where I was like, am I comfortable enough to potentially fail here, sell my house and rent? Mm-hmm. And talk to my wife I and go, are we, say, are we are we okay with like that? Yeah, and so, and like, yeah, cool, we're good. Okay, cool, we're on the same page. Yeah. Let's do it.
0: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, and then I had corporate training stuff on the side as well. So I, I also started up another company where I was delivering corporate training yeah. Um, to kind of charge the dollar Yeah. Um, and give back to the community. And you've
0: since then invested in another business too, eh?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, we bought a gym here in Manukau, um with a business partner. And, um,
0: right before lockdown. Right before <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> Right before the smooth recent
2: lockdown, I was like, yeah, good choice. Yeah, You're also (laughs)
0: great. Got any free passes? (laughs) 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 What's your thoughts around knowing your calling, Amber?
3: This is a tricky one for me because I'm not quite there yet. Mm. So I'm still on the journey or the pathway to what I think is my calling. Um, I'm kind of in a position at the moment where... We're doing good, like it's great. The impact we're having um, is really good. We're doing everything that we've set out to do as other journeys, mm. but for me, that's not quite hitting the spot. Like yeah. I know there's something else that I need to be doing, um, and where I will focus on when I, when I do um, look to exit, yeah, exit yeah. other journeys. But yeah. I think, yeah, this is definitely all part of my journey. Mm. Um, my calling within utter is to flood the world with Indigenous stories. Mm. And so once we've done that, I think that's when I'll be satisfied and yeah, be like,
2: yeah, it's cool. that
3: was my calling at that stage in life. Mm. And then when I start my next phase in life, I'll have a clear kind of journey mapped out in that space is be like, okay, yeah, I did that. I achieved that. Well, we achieved that as a company.
0: So why do you think it's important or why do you need to have a journey to what you feel is your higher calling versus just going straight there?
3: I don't know how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> straight <laughs> no, up, eh? <laughs> I think it comes down to, like, life experience. Mm. Like, I didn't wake up at five and be like, yep, mm-hmm. I want to go out and do that. That's where I'm going to end up in life. Like, I had no idea what I was going to be. Um, first, I wanted to marry Will Smith. That was Mm, my life goal, plan. Didn't happen? Didn't happen. (laughs) Gutted. (laughs) Um, And then after that, I decided, oh yeah, I want to be a forensic scientist. This is like when I was at intermediate, I was like, oh, I want to do forensics, because I don't know why I was that weird child. That murder's really fascinated me. (laughs) Yeah, inquisitive. Yeah. So (laughs) I wanted to be a forensic scientist. Um, I got into coding for a little bit, so I learned a little bit of code. Very quickly discovered I did not like that at all. Yeah. Um, and then ended up in the research and innovation space um, and then into other journeys with the immersive stuff. But I think without experiencing that, I wouldn't know that what I want to do at the end of, like, mm. my career pathway is what I want to do. Mm. Like, without going through all of those different experiences um, and learning and career opportunities and just, Diverting every time something didn't work for me, like mm-hmm. I didn't stick at it. I kind of went, "Oh, okay, that didn't work. What am I going to do now?"
2: Is it a, is that a destination for you, or do you think it's a, do you think it'll evolve again? Um,
3: it might evolve, it might evolve again. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. At, the, yeah, at this point, I'm like, so I think my calling is getting into angel investment. Mm. Um, I want to actually reshape that whole landscape. Mm. Um, with a particular particular focus on indigenous and wahine. Mm. Um, females coming into the space and creating um, opportunities for them to actually grow their company. So that's, for me, I think, is my calling and having um, impact and adding value in that space. Mm. But there's no way I could really do that without experiencing it myself with Mm. other journeys. Mm. Um, But then, yeah, the flip side of that is the mahi that we're doing within the company is so important to me that, you know, I want to hit that overarching goal of flooding the world with our stories. Yeah. Um, before I do start looking at that other phase.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Mm. I think I I heard you say a little bit earlier, Jerome, something along the lines of like your your calling is like aligned with your why. Mm. Um do you just want to touch a little bit on how that like helps you when you make decisions?
2: Yeah. Um so I I use it as my I mean my why is to help someone achieve something that they never thought was possible mm. so they can begin to identify, understand and realise their potential and and when I can do that with someone that, that's what absolutely drives me and so I use that as a filter uh, for my no decisions when someone asks me and presents an opportunity says hey do you want to do this work or do you want to pick up this opportunity um, if it doesn't align with my why I, I won't be overtly driven to, to get it done mm. and, and it won't be high on my priority list. So now I know that I can confidently say no, whereas before I used to always struggle with saying no. All the time I would mm. be saying yes, 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 yes all the time and then um, work myself uh, to the ground in an unsatisfactory unsatisfying way. It wasn't fulfilling at all. It was just me doing a whole bunch of work because I was passionate about helping people mm. and I thought that that was what I should do. I should say yes. Um, but now um, I'm able to say no because it I chuck on my why my filter, I guess, and yeah. go, does it align with that? No, it doesn't. Okay, well then, Jerome, you need to say no. Sometimes I find it really hard still to say yeah. no, but because I know it doesn't align with it, I'm like, okay, it's not going to
0: help. It's empowering, eh, when you can mm, do that. Mm. You can say no. Yeah, yeah. Um, as hard as, I'm, I'm the same. I struggle to say hard. no all the time. I'm getting better.
2: I think that that's a really key um, point, though, for, for businesses, for people getting into something, is that the ability to say no, and, and, yeah. and have, you have to eventually get comfortable with, Being able to...
0: I think it's... I feel like there's kind of seasons too in the growth of your business where there is a season where you have to say (laughs) yes. Like you just have to take whatever opportunity comes. Or maybe when you're still trying to figure it out what it is. And then once you know or once you have a reputation or skill level then you can stick to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because is that important for you knowing where you want to be? Does it help you with your decision making and stuff like that now?
3: Absolutely. But I base all of our decisions on how does it align with our company values, because mm. um, we're quite we're quite particular on what we build, how mm. we build, who we work with, mm. even companies we associate with. Like our due diligence is in that back end. It's like, okay, how do you treat your staff? Mm. Where are you off? Where are you outsourcing, and how are you paying them? Like, so we won't partner with anyone if they're not they're not ticking those boxes for us because that's something that's really important for us Mm. as a company. So that kind of takes care of that bit um, as well. And then the other thing I really look at is what's their return on investment um, to the company. And this is what I do a lot with some of the talks that I go on. Mm. And they're like, oh, um, what is your fee? You know, how much do you charge, blah, blah, blah. And when I was talking to other people who are looking to start charging their time in those um, keynote conference speaks or panel talks or whatever you're doing... So, what's the return on your company? Because every minute that I've spent away from core company business is actually costing us to run. Mm. So even though I'll go and do um, school talks for free, so that's one thing that we always do, anyone on my staff, we don't charge schools for our time to go out and talk to kids. Yeah, yeah. But that return on investment is mm. um, not about promoting other; it's about them seeing other people that are like them, that talk like it's them, cool. that sound like yeah. them, that look like them, yeah. in the tech space. Yeah. Um, so that's return on investment So that's a clear tick Yeah, yeah we'll do yeah, that yeah. Take us on the tour Whatever it is mm. um, And if we can squeeze it in Whereas you get the other conferences And they're like Oh, can you get up and talk about The AI that you're using in your game um, Because we really want to show the community What Māori are doing in this space mm. yeah. Okay, cool Who's your audience? And you look down the audience list And you're like Okay How does that benefit Māori? Mm. Like you've, you're getting us to get up and present And we're adding all this value to your conference and to the participants in the mm. audience, but actually what is the outcome that we're providing or what is the outcome for us in this space? Mm. So whether it's like looking at, okay, it's all the directors and CEOs of these big corporates in the audience, so presenting to them could be a good thing because it might open their eyes to hiring Māori mm. and Pacifica in that space. So that's a little bit of a tick. Yeah. Whereas if we're brought in as what I call the tick box, <laughs> where they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're meeting that cultural diversity because mm. we've got other journeys here presenting, and they're 100% Maori owned. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Can,
0: yeah.
3: Uh, go find mm. someone else to do it.
0: Yeah, and you do. Uh, you have to, and you have to make that decision for yourself or for your company. You have to think through that and think where do we stand on this. I, I find that challenging as well. Um, I've got to a point where I say no to most of those opportunities now, unless it's someone that has invested in my journey so far, or someone who I, I have that relationship with, or it has a good investment. The ones that crack me up are the ones that charge people to attend, but then they don't pay anything pay to the, the speaker. speaker. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> if you're charging <laughs> them, then you're, I'm charging you. Those ones crack me up all the time. Anyway, we're going to wrap up real soon. We're at, true to form of one way over time. Well, just this one last topic because it's really cool. Um, authenticity, being authentic and being yourself. So uh, you can, we find often, all three of us, I know we've chatted about this, that you find yourself in lots of different spaces, lots of different rooms with different people. Sometimes you're the smartest in the room or the most experienced in the room. Sometimes you're the dumbest. Or the least experienced. Sometimes you're the token Maori. Sometimes, uh, if you're half caste like me, you might be the token white person. <laughs> like you just find yourself in all these different spaces, um, and you 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 morph and you bend, um, not so much who you are, but how you present yourself and what you're saying and how you say it to suit that audience and to achieve the outcome that you want to achieve. But I guess my what I w- wanted us to touch on here is how do you then manage that to still stay to do or true to who you are and not allow that to Because um, I, I find it does impact the way that I think about myself Depending on which room Sometimes I might come out of a room and feel like I'm the dumbest And that I was the dumbest in the room And I have to make sure that that doesn't impact me in a negative way And on the flip side you mm-hmm. could come out and feel a little bit cocky or a bit egotistical if, if, you, if, you know, if you blew it away or whatever. Um, how do you guys manage that that level of just, just being you and being okay with who you are, regardless of, of the room that you're in?
3: I learnt a really long time ago um, that the best opportunities and the best learnings come from being the dumbest person in the room. Mm. So I actually now aim to be in those hui, hui, mm. um, I am the dumbest person in the room because I learned so much and I learned this from my corporate background um, at the university Mm. when I started getting pulled into these meetings alongside my director and I didn't really understand why she was doing it but actually watching the way people operate in different circumstances and watching the way she negotiated and actually presented and held her ground in that space Mm. was just eye-opening for me so yeah ever since then I've taken all those learnings and I try to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> but on authenticity, this mm. is a hard one for me and like our coordinator out there, I was like, what is it to be authentic? Because mm. I have multiple hats and I change them depending on the, the situation that I'm in. Mm. Um, but I think if I reflect back to it, no matter what situation I'm in, our core values, our why our mission, our ethos behind the company, it's all the same. Mm. It's just delivered in a different way. Mm. So depending on who you're engaging with, um, and I think I was saying this before as well, it's like I can go out and present to schools in rangatahi and you know the outfit's casual, the talk's casual, it's conversational because that's how you engage properly. Whereas if you're presenting in the corporate world and you've got a room full of middle-aged men, women, or very high-tech scientific looking for an actual ROI on their time being there, your whole persona changes. Mm. But the one thing that doesn't change is your company ethos, your values, your mission, your mahi, what you're doing. That mm. always stays the same. Mm. It's just your delivery um, mm. that changes. So I think being able to do that and do it on the spot when you need to is really valuable. Mm. But at the same time, because your kōrero is always the same, um, from the heart, it's not. Once you get used to it, it's not too stressful. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I know, just like
0: you can flow okay. in and out day. Eh? Yeah. Without
3: it being too, so
0: like a waterfall. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Use all the tech jargon over here, but yeah, don't yeah. use it over here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I'll, I think I'm. I understand working in different settings, right? You're working with rangatai you, you, I don't. I don't use the same language that I do when I'm trying to get some funding across the line or I'm talking to a corporate about getting some corporate training delivered or trying to sell that into the business. Um, Quite different way of communicating um, but the same intention behind it is to build rapport and build connection Um, and so that to me is the authentic part of that is, is what is the reason why I'm there and what is it that I'm doing does that remain the same? Um, I always say to people that if you were to see me in, in at home, or if you were to see me at the gym, or if you were to see me uh, in, at work or at school, that I'm that you, I'm pretty sure you would say that I'm the same person. That mm. I might speak a little bit differently, but I know that I'm, I'm the same person. So if I had a, a young person come up to me while I was, I, I would take, they would come into my workplace when I'd work at the bank and they would see me and they're like, oh, this is, same Jerome and and then he, they would see me engaging with my staff and I'd be talking to them and they'd, they'd look at me and go, Well, this is the same Jerome that runs the youth." Yeah, yeah, and, and so yeah. they would see that and, and for them it was like, I can be that, I can be me mm. in this setting and you can and, and you make slight adjustments because you need to not not to try and put on a facade. But it was for me, the way that I would see that is it's trying to build connection and rapport and what was required in that setting was slightly different to what was required in another setting. Yeah Um. So it wasn't me going Okay now I need to try And be someone else Although that That, that was absolutely happening In the earlier stages Where I was Trying to be something That I wasn't Yeah But it wasn't until I Kind of got more confident In my identity And who I was And got to the point Where I was like Yeah cool I'm just I'm me and I'm confident In what I can do um, That I got to the point Where I was, I was like I'm just adapting my style yeah. I'm not changing who I am Yeah Yeah
0: That's so good I eh? And I think like Our first episode We talked all about Relationships and people And how it is actually the relationships that you have mm. that drives your success, yep. whether That's it's the people that, that supporting you or the people that you're serving, the, the whanau that are around you and the love that you have. That is actually the key to your success. And, and every good relationship is based on you being you, yeah. you being authentic. And it's the same in this scene. It's the same in business. So true. It's the same in, in trying to be an innovator. You, you have to just be yourself because – South Auckland, I mean Auckland may feel big to some people, but it's small south auckland's small you in know you know who everyone is, and it's only a matter of time before you get seen as a faker, someone that's trying to um pretend to be someone that they're not or someone that's not true to their word or someone that um is a different person in every scenario and that essentially ends up that means that people don't trust you yeah. um so authenticity is super important it's it's challenging though it is challenging especially for for us as Maori and Pacifica to, to stay strong in that, I and mean, we were raised by people that potentially were at the end of the spectrum of or the season of being ashamed of being Moldy. Mm-hmm. and so we have to deal with that as well and and get back to that point of being proud of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was an awesome quote at all. Koro, looking forward to having you back in uh, episode four, I think, um, talking about leadership. So, thank you both for, for jumping on today. Um, any just final last words before we wrap up? Final, uh, let's say, a piece of advice to um, an innovator or a change maker that is just on the verge of stepping out. What would you say to them?
2: I, I'm quite simple. I would say just just, just do it. Like, just make sure you covered your risk and, and, and jump in there. And if it's your passion, if it's your why, Make it happen I, I'm so, i I'm so over the moon That I that, that I decided to make this jump After kind of 15 years In the corporate scene mm. That I did what I'm doing So just do it Don't take 15 years <laughs> sounds, sounds, <laughs> It sounds long Does it sound long? Yeah, yeah. Is it long? I, I feel like that's long It's you bro yeah. It's yeah. your journey I feel like I'm getting old Oh it. yeah. no It's
0: long no. <laughs> <laughs> But you remember <laughs> Just
3: a little bit <laughs> um, My personal advice would be Just because it hasn't been done before Doesn't mean you shouldn't be the one to do it Yes so yeah. go out, take the risks, have a crack at it. Yeah, um, what's the worst that can happen? You get told no. Yeah, and don't take no for an answer either. Go out and try <laughs> <Yeah>. someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, awesome. that's my, that's my. Nice Kanui te
0: mahikorua. Thank you for jumping on. Sure shout up. out to Foundation North for making this happen. Yes. Hae kona. <laughs> thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Katu Maya was proudly brought to you by Foundation North. To enhance lives, Foundation North provides funding and support to initiatives large and small to respond to their communities now and for generations to come. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram or www.foundationnorth.org.nz.